one couldn't recognize this as propaganda at the time, I'm sure. I mean, the idea that Greek musicians will have about Germany, it's that this is the land of Beethoven and Wagner. That's it for them. So any kind of, you know, implication with Germany in the Greek musical system would be very much welcome. I mean, who wouldn't like to have the Frankfurt Opera coming here to Athens to perform The Ring? when you are involved in a country which doesn't have all the necessary infrastructure in the musical industry, let's call it like that, the German involvement is, it would be very much welcome. This is Claiming Beethoven. We portrait a group of international musicologists and historians examining aspects of propaganda, collaboration, resistance, persecution and exile, to learn about the distortion of historiography and the relevance for our own present times. This podcast by Michael Custodis and his team at the University of Münster is related to the project The Role of Beethoven and His Music in Nazi-Occupied European Countries. Welcome to the new episode of our podcast, Climbing Beethoven. It's my pleasure to welcome our dear colleague, Alexandros Schakiolakis, sitting in the sunny Athens at the moment. So, Alexandros, it's a pleasure to see you this time on screen. We're talking on Zoom. Alexandros, very welcome. Thank you very much for the introduction, Michael. Actually, today is not a sunny day in Athens. It's very gloomy and it's raining, although it's April. But, I mean, it's those uh, spring rains. Well, uh, we learned that rain is also something we really have to take care of. So nevertheless, I hope we're having a good time. Unfortunately, we cannot meet in presence, but we'll do so hopefully soon for the next conference. But first, I would like to introduce you with a few words for our listeners. You're a musician and a musicologist and an institutional director. So many different professions. You studied piano and music theory, very much to do with Athens and with Greece, but you also studied in the United Kingdom, in Sheffield, and at the Royal Northern College of Music, Philosophy and Management. And your current position is that you're the general director of the Friends of Music Society in Athens, but also you're a scholar, you're a writer, but you're also a member of a board of directors for the State Orchestra in Athens. You're a member in the Mikis Theodorakis Museum and member of the board of the Greek IAML branch. So quite a lot of professions, Alexandros. Actually, these are, you know, things that I do on my spare time, a lot of them. Thank you very much for having me in this great podcast. As you correctly said, I study musicology and conducting in Great Britain. And also this philosophy and management is a thing that came and it's very helpful in order to maintain all these different roles. Sometimes I did that in at the University of Athens here in Athens. Yeah, it's, it's so nice because I think first we need some sort of a summary. Our general topic of course, is the reception of Beethoven and his music in Nazi-occupied European countries. And um, I keep learning from all the colleagues I'm talking to quite a lot, because all the countries have different histories, had a different fate, very complicated political circumstances, so that before we could speak about music, I think we need a little bit of an impression, what was it like in 1940-41, but also before, because of course, as we know, the musical relations between Greece and and Germany go way back for many, many, many decades and years and centuries. So how do we have to imagine the political situation in Greece at the turn of the Second World War? 
Well, the situation was um, not a very democratic one, one could say, since uh, Greece had a dictatorship that was being led by Metaxas. You know, he was the prime minister when the Italian attack happened on the 28th of October 1940, but he was a general, but he claimed the authority in Greece back in the mid-30s, and he managed to establish a very, let's call it, a soft, fascist, ideological government with these ideological proclaims that they're not exactly, actually they were not at all like what was happening in Germany. It had uh, common traits with other uh, more soft fascist regimes in Europe. Nevertheless, it was a dictatorship uh, very much in favor of um, movements that uh, had to do with authoritarian rule in the country. So within this political situation, the Communist Party, for instance, was banned. People from the left were jailed, especially those who were very active trying to propagate for their ideology and it was like a one rule party across the country. The situation with Germany now, it's very interesting because the previous year from 1940 when Greece entered the Second World War after the declaration of war on the 28th of October by the Italian forces, it was uh, actually quite amicable in a sense because there were some exchange concerts that they happened the previous years. Actually, this was um, a pan-European as I know, initiative by Goebbels. He was organizing these exchange concerts with uh, local musicians from other countries. For instance, Mother's Ring by Manolis Kalomidis was played in the opera in Berlin. Concerts happened. The um, Frankfurt Opera came to Athens and they performed the whole ring, which is actually the only time that the whole ring was played in Greece. So the years, the months before the war, were it was a fluctuating understanding of what was happening in Europe. Greece of course, was on the verge of war without actually knowing it. And the problems have already started in August, just before the declaration of war, where a warship that was uh, stationed, uh, docked in Tinos, was uh, torpedoed and sunk. And actually, this gave an understanding of what will happen in the next few weeks. And that's what happened, actually, in the next few weeks. Italy decided that uh, they wanted their piece of the country, and then they uh, declared war in the morning of the 28th of October 1940. It's a very interesting actually coincidence because the previous night the son of Puccini was uh, in Athens and uh, there was a premiere of one of his works at the National Opera, at the National Theatre actually, there was no National Opera at the time, and a big, you know, festivity and a nice reception was held at the Italian embassy where Medaxas, the Prime Minister, attended as well and then they left and three hours later, the Italian ambassador went to his home and he told him that Italy wants to, to go through the, the Greek territories up in the north. And then he supposedly, it's a, it's a, it's an urban legend that he said the word ohi, which is, means no in Greek. So it's, if you see sometimes, you know, they, they have the ohi day in many countries, especially in America, they call it like that. Actually, Metaxas said to him in French, alors c'est la guerre. So we have, uh, anyway, we have war, basically, uh, I mean, if you want to translate it, and the war just started like that. 
It sounds very, very complicated with a lot of contradictions because, as we know, especially Hitler and many others in Nazi Germany were fascinated by ancient Greek culture. So there was somehow frictions between cultural relations and political ambitions. In this case of Mussolini, the Axis power between Rome and Berlin attacking a country that National Socialism was highly fascinated of. So it sounds like a very confusing and very unorganized situation. As we know, also Mussolini was fascinated by culture. He, of course, had this idea, this vision of reinstaging the Roman Empire, somehow portraying himself also as a musician. And uh, what a mess. Yes, true. I'm not a historian per se, but what I have read, it points towards the direction that uh, Mussolini actually acted on his own. I mean, this was not a planned thing through the Axis powers headquarters, let's call it like that. He took his own initiative and he tried to occupy, he thought that it's a good idea to try and occupy at least a part of Greece at the time. And he moved on his own trade. And that's why actually the Axis powers and, and the German involvement in the battle here in Athens, in, in Greece, sorry, it happened later. And actually, it was the breaking point for Greece to be occupied. Obviously, I mean, being attacked by two so superior armies, it was very, very difficult to maintain any kind of resistance on the battlefield. But up until the point when Germany got involved, actually, Italy was losing the battle, losing the war, let's call it like that. It was not going the way the, the Axis powers wanted the war here in, in, in Greece. And so a second part of the occupation of Greece then happened when Mussolini was removed in 1943. That's somehow the overall perspective of the final phase of the German occupation in general. Although, as we know, Mussolini couldn't have acted without Germany in the background. That's true. Actually, when Greece was occupied, it was separated into different zones. There were not only the Italians and the Nazi powers, there were also the Bulgarians that they occupied a part of Thrace, which was very close to where they, uh, they were situated. And there was a triple occupation across the country with zones occupancy by different forces. And some places, you know, the, the Germans had the upper hand, then the Italians had the upper hand. And then, of course, 1943, anyway, their companionship, let's say, broke out and Germany declared a whole country occupation in Greece. Before we come closer to your own contribution for our research project, as we know, you already did quite a lot of research about the orchestral life in Athens. Maybe before that, we could summarize a little bit how much music life was possible with the beginning of the occupation. Because when there is war, when there are battles, of course, music is involved when partisans are singing, we have military music involved and all that. But the music life, the organ the institutionalized music life of orchestras, of operas, etc., is difficult to maintain during those battles. So how do we have to imagine in 1940-41 the music life in Greece? Well, there is one phase where the musical life, of course, stopped for a relatively large part of that season because there were difficulties, like very objective difficulties. Uh, for instance, there were musicians that they had to be drafted to go to the front to fight there. The truth is, though, that there was some music being performed even during the war was in progress up in the northern parts of, uh, of Greece. A lot of it, obviously, as you can understand, to boost 
boost the morale of people who are listening to it. Or there were concerts, I'm not only talking about classical music, but also more popular music that they were organized in order to raise funds or gather goods to be sent to the soldiers in the front. Also, there was a, a wave of songs that they have been written. There were more popular songs. They were actually either written especially for the war, but also there were different versions of existing songs that they were already hit, that they were changing the lyrics in order to fit the present situation at the time. And these were heard around the biggest cities. The situation in music changes after the end of the battles, when occupation starts, where there's a period where things need to balance out, as you can understand. You know, people couldn't go out of their houses, basically, for large sums of the day. So music was not something to be performed very easily. So this took some time after the occupation to be, let's say, balanced out. What I always love to learn from the colleagues, the cultural relations, but also the academic relations between the different countries and Germany, because for some, France was the major focus, for example, to learn one's chops as a musician, or it could also be a focus on Italy. So and that's, of, of course, we're going back to the 1920s and 30s in this case, but to learn how much traditions or changes happened with the occupation in Greece. Was Germany a traditional focus for young musicians, for academic? education? Yes, it was. Actually, the Athens Conservatory, the main institution, the oldest institution actually here in Greece in terms of music, followed a more German system of learning and studying music. But also the other conservatories that they have been established, they were following a similar German-focused system of uh, teaching. One should not hesitate to understand that, for instance, a very important person in the musical life in Greece was someone who was educated in Vienna, that was uh, Manolis Kalomir but others who were very prevalent and very present in the musical life in Greece, they have actually studied in Germany. Skalkotas, for instance, who survived through the war and he actually died during the last year of the civil war in 1949. So there was a, a large group of people, whereas in the 19th century, musicians were going to Italy to study, basically. It was uh, especially those from the Ionian Islands that used to go to, to Italy to study. During the first 40 years of the 20th century, they were moving more towards the center Europe and especially Germany and uh, Austria. Was musicology our somewhat main domain for the research project? Was that already established during that time? Because the most prominent, maybe most prominent example here from a German point of view is uh, Georgiades, who became the Ordinarius, the head of the musicological department in Munich after the Second World War, but he wrote his dissertation under Rudolf von Ficker's uh, supervision, being a close friend of Karl Orff, and after the occupation started, after he fought the Italian troops, so far as he claimed in his memoirs and his papers, he went to Munich in 41. How much collaboration was involved is still unclear, but somehow this reminds us that musicology as a university discipline also was already on the horizon. Was that the exception with the musicologist, or is that also for the young university some atmosphere a representative example? Well, in Greece, musicology is a very young discipline. The first musicological department in a university here was established in the 80s. So there was no room for musicology in the traditional sense during the first decades and up 
well into the second half of the of the 20th century. So Thrasyphilus Georgiadis is an exception to the example that uh, was set in other countries. Musicology was not in any kind of order in Greece and there were only very amateur, very dilettante efforts and people were trying to establish a discipline in a more professional, in a more scientific way, but the room was not there. So he's an exception, it's not the rule at all. Alexandros, you're guiding us extremely well through those difficult decades of Greece music and cultural and political history. And um, I would like to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, the situation of German-Greek relations already after 1933. But correct me if I'm wrong, but as much as I know from your writings and from other scholars, especially Josef Goebbels with German propaganda, tried to establish some sort of German outposts in Greece, both concerning propaganda, institutions for learning German, those Deutsche Institute, but also with radio, and not only Athens, also Thessaloniki, but of course also focusing Athens. So there was already German propaganda involved in Greece, right? Yes, it was. Uh, one couldn't recognize it as propaganda at the time, I'm sure. If we move back to time, we go into a time machine and go then. You wouldn't recognize it as propaganda in that sense, because, for instance, when the radio is being established in Athens, the radio station of Athens, which is a German thing, I think it was the, the local Telefunken company that was in direct connection with Germany that established it, it will seem as something of a progress. You know, you have radio finally, which is very, very important. The interrelations that they are being established, I mean, for many Greek musicians, Germany, apart from anything else, you know, news didn't travel as fast as they travel now, I suppose. So the idea that Greek musicians will have about Germany, it's that this is the land of Beethoven, basically, and the, the land of Wagner. That's it for them. So any kind of, you know, implication with Germany in the Greek musical system will be very much welcome, I will have said. I mean, who wouldn't like to have the Frankfurt Opera coming here to Athens to perform The Ring? Or other things to happen, you know, a famous German conductor to come to conduct this, the, it was not even state orchestra, state orchestra became later, and actually during the occupation became, I think we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. So who wouldn't want something like that? So when you are involved in a country which doesn't have all the necessary infrastructure in the musical industry, let's call it like that, your involvement in it, and the German involvement in it, it will be very much welcome, as you can understand. You just mentioned that we'll come back to that very soon. And I think that's a fantastic cliffhanger for our dear listeners, because as you know, and the listeners know, we have two segments of our episodes. And I'm talking to Alexandros Hachiolakis in Athens about the music life in Nazi-occupied Greece. So for the moment, I'd like to thank you cordially. It's really impressive what you described already. And for the second part, maybe this as part of the cliffhanger, in the second part, we'll get very very deep into your own part, your contribution for our research project, the symphonic music life in Athens, especially concerning Beethoven. But for the moment, Alexandros, it's such a pleasure talking to you for the moment. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Michael. This podcast was presented by Michael Custodes and his team. Francesco Bruno took care of editing, sound design and production.